This is the Canadian Investor, where you take control of your own portfolio and gain the confidence you need to succeed in the markets. Hosted by Braden Dennis and Simon Belanger. The Canadian Investor Podcast today is Tuesday, April 18th. My name is Braden Dennis, as always, joined by the looking very sophisticated in his new fancy glasses, uh, Simon Belanger. Sir, welcome in. It is FinChat release day. Have you played around with it a bit? I did play around with it. It's. Uh, I think my timing was pretty bad though, because I think you guys were doing some uh, upgrades doing to maintenance it. on it. Yeah, right maintenance. When we sent you it. Yeah, and then I'm like, man, like nothing seems to be working. All the questions I'm prompting. It's like, oh, sorry, we error. couldn't answer it or error. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're like, what? Like, why is Braden hyping this? chat bot up it doesn't work um so for those who do not know what i'm talking about or have not seen me just hype the <laughs> hype the heck out of this thing on twitter today this podcast comes out on april 20th thursday april 20th and this morning when this podcast comes out finchat.io is officially available that is finchat.io there is going to be a huge category winner in generative AI and the finance niche, which is a gigantic category in itself. And I think I have the potential to build the winner here uh, for this entire category. It's it's the demand for every time I talk about it online, it, it, the reaction has been insane. Like, you know, I was just like, retweet if you want this. And I had like 800 retweets in the first like seven hours. Like I've never built anything that has that kind of demand before. It's it's been kind of nuts. Like this whole week, I've just felt like we're we're onto something huge here, man. Hey, I mean the AI train is on. Like every <laughs> people AI get excited. Yeah, people get excited with it. I mean, for good reason. I get excited for good reason. And, and scared at the same time for humanity. But you know, it's all good. <laughs> yeah, and of course, like. It doesn't tell you how to think. It just is like, you're just like, hey, tell me how many subscribers Disney Plus has compared to Netflix. And you just prompt that out in the English language and it comes out with those line items. Like it's just, it's just a tool for, for getting the data and the answers and transcripts and the filing you want as well as like it's loaded with 3,500 pages of, of essays from Warren Buffett. And, and writings from him in, in Berkshire annual report. So it's pretty awesome. So give it a shot. It's free at finchot.io. You get 10 prompts per day for free. If you want to pay, uh, you go up to up to 50. I'd love to just have it free for everyone for a while, but I would literally go broke in computing costs. So uh, I got out of the dirt and ramen phase at the end of last year, and I, I don't want to go back into the dirt and ramen phase. Um, but I, I honestly think, Simone, like, People who have been listening to this podcast, like, I honestly think this could be a, a billion-dollar idea one day. And uh, maybe I'm a little excited here, but that would make me about as one-third as rich and one-one-hundredth as handsome as Ryan Reynolds, uh, who has made headlines again. This is me handing off the baton to our first topic here. Yeah, is he, uh, before I go on, is he a billionaire? Or? I, I don't think he's a billionaire, but I, if... I think he's worth at least six hundred and fifty million. Yeah, that would make sense with some of the uh, 
investments he made and obviously cashing out on those investments. So, yeah. He will be a billionaire, like, without a doubt. With Like, with I would say with, like, almost 100% certainty, which I don't say very often, but I speak in certainty. He will be a billionaire, like, soon. Um, but I, I don't know. And the answer is I bet you he is worth more than $500 million, uh, definitely. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And like you said, he made headlines again. Now, um, this time is because an investment he made into the Canadian fintech payment processor, Noive. So it is a company we've talked about before on the podcast, uh, usually during earnings season. And the quote that essentially um, he, he said is, right, it's pretty interesting. I know about as much about fintech as I did about gin or mobile a few years ago, but Noive is impressive. The leadership team is exceedingly intelligent and hardworking, and it's about time a Canadian company got the type of attention American tech companies do. Um, so it's interesting. Clearly, Noive is definitely using is investment is marketing because I went to their side because I was just checking a few things and his face is just plastered all over the place. So, I mean, I think part he, of his he is a human money printer. Like exactly. Any, com- yeah. any company that, uh, you know, takes him on in that like advisory marketing role, the guy just, he's brilliant at this man. Did you see a commercial they did? I, uh, yeah. Not I think rockets. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I did see that. <laughs> it's pretty yeah, funny. It's pretty, for, for those who haven't seen it, the quick summary is, this is he's sitting down in, a, in the office of the CEO of Nouvea and he goes, um, are we working on any rockets? He's like, uh, no, no, I don't think so. Like, no plans for rockets. He's like, yeah, American tech companies are, and I'm paraphrasing, are always doing the new and exciting stuff. We're just making sexy payment infrastructure. Like, you know, we're not building any rockets, but we're doing payments really well. And, you know, he has this way of just making marketing fun. And uh, there's a reason that everything he touches turns into, you know, hundreds of million dollar exits in ridiculously short periods of time. So he kind of just has the ability to demand advisory equity yeah. and yeah. print money. <laughs> it's just an easy playbook. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I don't know whether this will pan out for him or not. I'm sure like, you know, I don't know if it's just an investment, like you said, or there's kind of other things, other kind of compensation. Uh, but, you know, just as a reminder, Noive has grown quite quickly over the past five years. They've grown their sales, their top line at a compound um, growth rate of 43% per year over the last five years. And obviously, in big part fueled by the pandemic, revenues almost doubled from 2020 to 2021. And they've been doing pretty well overall, at least compared to other players in the tech space. Uh, they've remained free cash flow positive, And it's still down, though, like they've been hit like any other uh, tech company. It's still down 65% from its peak of summer 2021. But, um, you know, when we did the earnings release a couple of quarters ago, uh, that was one of the things I highlighted. I remember about Noive is they're actually still free cash flow positive compared to, you know, a company like Lightspeed, for example, which, you know, have not been profitable on either a, a gap earnings basis or free cash flow basis uh, pretty much ever, right? So, yeah, the... I mean, the, this is a business that I just I like generally. Typically, like these are the types of businesses I like. 
know, payments infrastructure being like the kind of API layer for payments. I mean, it's just brilliant. Everywhere you look, there's so many good businesses. Stripe, Adyen, uh, this, the list goes on. Uh, there's so many. The only concern I have for the business is like sequentially, the business has, hasn't really grown since the end of 2021. So I, I don't know what this next lever of growth really is. They they rode up the the beautiful... <laughs> adoption of online gambling because they were a lot of the API layer for payments in that specific niche. That's where they really found product market fit. And now here, I'm I'm curious what the next phase of growth for this business is. Uh, but time will tell. Yeah, no, exactly. Not much uh, to add there. And we'll talk about another, another Canadian, uh, well, I guess another Canadian company making the news. Brookfield Infrastructure Partners has, wow, <laughs> it's a big headline number, $13.3 billion uh, take private transaction for Triton International. You texted me, I was having a busy day with work and you're like, it was like late in the day. You're like, did you see the Brookfield, uh, the Brookfield Infrastructure News? I was like, no, like, dude, I live under a rock. Um, and <laughs> and I, I texted you, I'm like, Whoa, uh, $13.3 billion. So here's the, the TLDR of it. There is Brookfield Infrastructure, BIP, the subsidiary of Brookfield, the infrastructure business, has announced its plan to acquire Triton International, which is the world's largest owner and leaser of intermodal containers. So intermodal containers, it's, it's a sexy name for shipping containers, good old shipping containers. So this is a stock and cash transition uh, transaction, sorry, worth a whopping $13.3 billion. Uh, so how this kind of works is the current Triton shareholders, because, you know, public company will receive $85 per share, uh, including $68.50 in cash to their, to their account and $16.50 in class A of Brookfield Infrastructure Corp. So this represents a 35% premium to Triton's stock price on April 11th. So that was the takeout premium, 35%. Now, this is a shipping containers business, right? That's what Triton does. And this is a monster, monster deal. So for a business I'm analyzing for the first time, like Triton, it seems like they got pretty good value for an incredibly important business in global logistics. So they must have thought, hey, this is incredibly good value today on the open market. And we still think it's incredibly good value at a 35% premium. The margins are kind of nuts on this business. Like I, I was I, I didn't believe what I was seeing. I was looking at the margin profile and it's pretty incredible. Operating margins north of 40%. It grows pretty steady at a high single digits on the top line and, and over double digits on the bottom line profitability. It throws off like an absurd amount of cash, pays a nice little dividend. And so, you know, maybe it, it makes sense tucking it into here to Brookfield infrastructure. Look no further than the incredible unsexy business of shipping containers to get <laughs> Brookfield excited uh, in a deal they like. Uh, this is supposed to close in the fourth quarter of this year. 23 subject to you know the usual customary approvals yeah it's uh i had heard of the business before a couple of years ago um i mean 
I heard of it, looked into it a little bit, but wasn't my cup of tea in terms of investment. There's definitely some cyclicality to it. So that's something people should be aware. But I mean, it's a pretty, it's pretty important in our economy in general. So it's definitely a big part of the infrastructure that uh, require for, you know, to make the economy go. <laughs> that's pretty much the easiest way to put it. And what kind of comes to mind though right now is we've seen with the bank failures in the US and Europe that credit is starting to tighten up and that's a reason why the central banks are either pausing or you know slowing down the rate hikes and that what that tells me is Brookfield is probably starting to be opportunistic here because if you're seeing credit tighten, it means that potential acquirers for these type of businesses, um, there's going to be less of them. And a company like Brookfield can definitely leverage their financial position and their expertise to take advantage of these type of climates. And we saw it when they did with, uh, sorry, was it Interpipeline that they bought? I can't remember. Yep. Yeah, it Interpipeline. was Interpipeline. Yeah, it was, didn't want to confuse the name, but that was another one when, you know, there was a lack of investment, lack of interest in anything related to oil last year while they actually, or was it, it was the end of 2021. They right. pounced. They pounced on it. They even had to. It would to, have been 2020, right? Uh, I think it was end of 2021, if I remember correctly. I'll look it up. But it was yeah. it was when yeah. it was most ugly. <laughs> yeah, it was exactly. It was not sexy, that's for sure. And that's kind of what Brookfield You're right. does. It, it was it yeah. was it was 21. You're right. I was mm-hmm. off on that. Yeah, and to me, that's just them kind of continuing on that trend, right? Now they're seeing this kind of environment that's favorable to acquisitions if you have the capital because it's there's just not going to be as many suitors. So that's that's kind of what I, I take away from that. That for sure. Uh, and, and that's not a news story, but it, it shows two important things, right? Is like they are truly value investors like at, at their core. I'll say three things. They're truly value investors. They are always looking at things in this subsidiary, which are truly like structurally critical infrastructure, like stuff where, you know, the the snap your fingers, if this business goes away, what happens? Uh, You know, this the old snap test. You snap your fingers and what happens to uh, the largest owner and leaser of intermodal containers? Like, your, your stuff ain't showing up to your door next to the, the morning of on Amazon anymore. Uh, and, and, and then third thing is just the amount of capital that they have at their disposal and the moves that they're willing to make on just gigantic sums. Um, that gives them a unique advantage as both an operator and a capital allocator, which I think is kind of a deadly combo that you don't see out there in this business anywhere. And for all of those reasons, I'm really happy to like. I just keep I just keep buying more Brookfield. I I don't buy the individual subsidiary like infrastructure, but I just keep buying more Brookfield. Yeah, I mean personally, I own more of the subsidiaries, and my favorite one of all of them has to be the infrastructure partner. It's just the sustainability of the assets that they have, regardless of the economic environment. But there's also upside related to those um, to those utilities or whatever you want to call them to those assets if the economy goes well and there's kind of a floor if it doesn't go well so that's why i really love that infrastructure part and it's one of my bigger positions as a whole 
Let's move on to the big macro. Uh, with yeah, Bank macro update. Yeah, I tried to uh, do it kind of uh, three short parts because there were uh, quite a bit of uh, macro news that happened recently. So I'm going to do Bank of Canada interest rate decision, Canadian and U.S. CPI. Canadian CPI actually came out today. Um, so it'll be kind of two days. It was Tuesday. So if uh, people are listening to this on Thursday, it was a couple of days ago. Now, Bank of Canada interest rate uh, decision. The Bank of Canada said it was holding rates steady at 4.5%. Uh, they're still evaluating the effects uh, that the rapid rate hikes will have on the economy. They mentioned that they are seeing uh, rate hikes cooling larger purchases overhaul, for example, housing, and because those are more dependent on credit, but the pause allows them to see what additional effects it might have. They also mentioned I could take 12 to 18 months for you know, after the rate hikes to see their full effects on the economy. They also said that rates will most likely need to stay higher for a longer period of time. They expect inflation to be back to 3% this summer and 2% by the end of 2024 with some caveat. Of course, the energy wildcard there, if uh, price of oil, for example, starts going up or gas, could have a big impact on that. And they did add that food and services inflation remains high. On that note... Um, I'll kind of validate what they said with the Canadian CPI update. So looks like, uh, you know, the Bank of Canada and TIFF's predictions are looking good based on these uh, the recent print. The headline number was in line with expectation at 4.3% year over year. Food rose 8.9% year over year and 0.2% versus February. Shelter costs rose 5.4%. Energy was one of the big driver to inflation cooling down. So that's uh, kind of the same for Canada and the U.S. here. So it was down 6.9% year over year. Gas was down 13.8% on its own. Services were up 5.1% and 0.5% month over month. So still seeing some sticky inflation for services here. And the core measure that the Bank of Canada uses are still high, but trending down. The three measures were 5.9%, 4.6%, and 4.4%. And for context, they were all above 5% in January. So you're seeing definitely some positive over here. And then for the U.S., it's much of the same, very similar numbers that we're seeing. The U.S year number was 5%, increasing 0.1% month over month. Again, food remained elevated at 8.5%. Energy decreased 6.4%, so almost identical to Canada here. Services, less energy was up 7.1%. So again, services were seeing uh, stickier inflation there. Shelter, which also is a lagging indicator for both countries, was up 8.2%. And core CPI rose 5.6% year over year and 0.5% month over month. So you're seeing here some kind of similar things, both for the Canadian and US CPI. I think, you know, the, what they're predicting in terms of 3% this summer and then 2% by the end of 2024, I think that like the biggest wildcard before people start making one conclusion one way or another, start saying that Tiff is out to lunch, she doesn't know what he's talking about, or the other side of the argument saying, look, inflation is done, we're in the clear. It's going to be, to be honest, it's it's going to be dependent on energy. What happens with energy costs, that's going to be the biggest wildcard. Yeah, totally. And and it's just so unpredictable and no one know like it, it it doesn't matter who's in the chair. 
you know, that number is going to be impossible to get right. I'm happy to see the point zero point two percent sequential inflation on food in Canada. Yeah, yeah. that that was the item that. I think I was the most happy to hear you rifle off on this entire list. That to just it just feels like the one that has been such a stinger over the last two years, uh, anecdotally and from the discussion broader that I hear. Yeah, yeah, and it hurts. Uh, you know, unfortunately, it hurts the people who make the less money, the lowest household incomes the most, um, unfortunately, because people have more money to spend. At the end of the day, food's a smaller percentage of their overall budget. If you have, you know, you make less money, it's going to be a higher percentage. So you really feel that increase more. Um, and hopefully it levels off because let's be honest, like, you know, eight plus percent <laughs> over a year yeah. is high. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's high for sure. I guess when you've only when you're so used to seeing those numbers, seeing a sequential number almost flat on an important line item is like, ah, you know, like I, I, I'm not exhaling fully yet, but it feels it feels nice. And my goodness, dude, I am so glad I get to be here on this podcast because people for at home for listening. This is me getting this news as well at the same time via Simon every single week. Like this is like this is this is my time to to learn the news as well, and uh, I appreciate you very much. Hey, no problem. I enjoy doing it. You have to. I like to kind of break it down a bit more because it's easy to just look at the headline number, and at the end of the day, headline number is a headline number. When you look at the data, it's usually more nuanced than whichever way you're looking at the the headline number. Let's talk about another major news piece here in Canada, Glencore and Tech Resources. All right, so big news last week-ish. Oh, late, I forget what it was, but, but it was last week. And I wanted to speak to it here on the pod, but frankly, it was it was too fresh and I wasn't up to speed on the proposal. So I didn't want to just come on here and spew some nonsense. So here it goes. Swiss commodities giant Glencore has proposed a takeover of Canada's very own tech resources, which is, of course, a mining giant here from Canada that many people will be familiar with, gigantic employer. Among others, their main products are copper, zinc, and steel-making coal. This is, this is tech resources. Um, they also have lead, specialty metals such as germanium, indium, cadmium, and in addition to some gold and silver. And as a cyclical commodity business, one can expect, their stock, their stock chart looking pretty boom or bust over time. And that is definitely the case, although they've had a pretty magnificent run as of late. So again, cyclical business. Their plan to maximize value and in the CEO's words, ESG it up, um, they want to spin off the steel making coal business from the metal business. They want to make two separate entities. And the, the way they spin this is like they're two really good businesses. And, you know, of course, the metals is very important for, you know, the electrification of the grid, uh, infrastructure. And I, I believe that's all very true, you know, especially copper. And then, of course, the steel making coal, they say that 
it's actually helpful for the decarbonization process for, for steel. So, okay, whatever. The, so they, so they want to d- split this two business. Now, Glencore, this gigantic Swiss commodities business says, come here, tech. We have a proposal to take out your business. We want to, we want to, we want to acquire you guys. And tech has replied with, no, our best pass forward for shareholders is our continued execution and split of this steel, steel making coal business and the metal business. They came back with another proposal, updated proposal. And tech CEO basically told them to tech, take a walk again, take a hike. He said it, uh, he said on BNN, Jonathan Price CEO said, it is a non-starter. I, I listened to the entire interview. Um, he's a good lad, that guy. Now, one thing I think that he said to that makes a little bit of sense here, if you are bullish on tech and their execution plan and this split of the two businesses, is that it's not good value. And then two, it's a giant distraction with regulatory hurdles that just takes on all of their mental energy for the next year or two to, to make this deal happen. And so this story is certainly not over yet. Uh, Glencore... <laughs> doesn't think the story is over yet. And uh, we'll be here with the news as, as final decisions are made. Any any thoughts here? I don't know if you've caught up uh, up to speed on this deal yet. Yeah, I did. And I was I saw your notes. So I had seen some okay. of the headlines, but I wanted to just understand a little bit better what was happening. And I mean, I think their largest shareholder too came back and back yes. management of uh, tech That's resources right. as well. So I think obviously it's, uh, I think it's a Chinese company is the largest shareholder. Uh, I thought it was a Canadian guy, like a billionaire Anyways, of some I'll, sort. I'll look it up. Uh, tech CEO confident biggest B shareholder, China Investment Corp. Oh, okay. Will uh, stand behind their decision. Okay. Oh, um, is that, sure I wonder if that's related. Yeah, I wonder if that's related to uh, the share class though. Hmm. And the way they phrased it. Yeah, anyways, yeah, uh, my thoughts here is um, it's actually on a more, I guess, macro perspective just because if you're looking at these, um, and no pun intended, these like, you know, resources, natural resources type of companies, I think we're going to see governments more and more protective of those in the coming decade because we're starting to see the world shifting from a U.S.-dominated world to a world that's going to be in more faction. I'm not saying that the U.S. is is not going to be a major player. It will probably be for decades to come. That's not what I'm saying. But I think you're going to have a multipolar world where you'll have, you know, countries that align more with China and Russia and all those type of countries. Countries, and then countries that align more with the U.S. and maybe some countries that are kind of in between. They don't want to really take sides. But regardless, I think countries like Canada, Australia, even the U.S., uh, China, whichever country you're looking at, they're going to be more productive about their natural resources. And I could see the government intervening if they don't like the deal or the potential buyer. And I saw an article that mentioned that apparently, according to sources, uh, the federal government is keeping a close eye on that because they're not that keen on i guess uh, a canadian a major canadian um a mining company being acquired by a a, a company from a foreign country even though it's uh probably you know it's a friendly foreign country 
All right, let's move on to some earnings. We have, you got Schwab. I'm going to do BlackRock and then you're going to talk about uh, J- JP Morgan. We got the financials. It's the, yeah, it's the financials it's financial roundup. week. Yeah, and I, <laughs> yeah. it's an interesting one because it's really the, the first time we're seeing, especially in the U.S., that we're seeing the bank's earnings following uh, the collapse of SVB, yeah. Silvergate, and Signature Bank, and obviously uh, the collapse in Europe or whatever you want to call it, the buyout of uh, Kidsy Swiss. And Schwab stock was up on the earnings release, but I'll be honest, um, I do wonder why. Because there's a lot of things that um, are kind of scary. Uh, so on the f- surface, I'll admit it, it looks good. So revenues were up 10% and then income was up 14%. Their net interest margin expended by 81 basis points year over year due to higher interest rates. However, this is where it starts being like not that great. Deposits were down 11% versus the last quarter, so the previous quarter, not even from a year ago, and then 30% from a year ago. That's a lot. And the good news is that they saw an increase of 150% in their money market funds that uh, Schwab does have a lot of, you know, Schwab money market funds uh, year over year and 28% versus the last quarter. However, that's not great for them at the same time because they collect what ends up happening is instead of making money on the interest spread that they would do on deposits while the money market funds they collect fees and schwabs offer some pretty low fee the average fee for their money market fund is 27 basis points and it's even lower if it's for like through a third-party money market fund so it's not you know (laughs) it's not that great i i feel like their bottom line will definitely start um you know uh, probably being hit down the line. I don't know how quickly, but I think people were really excited by the headline numbers. And to show that things aren't going that well, they paused their buyback plan. So that's clear to me that the management there is definitely, I don't know if they're just being prudent or they're kind of doing damage control here. But what comes to mind is, you know, we talked about no commission trades when uh, Robinhood, the whole fiasco with uh, GameStop happened and uh, payment for order flow. Well, Schwab has a bit of a different model. Not that they don't use payment for order flow, but it's not. Um, they have, uh, I guess, a policy of just doing what's best for their customers trade. So not uh, exclusive rights with any firm, but they had to find other ways to make money. And for Schwab, it was the deposit. And they've been and, really good at that, finding other ways to make money. Yeah, but the reality is they were using deposits to get that interest margin and essentially uh, be able to uh, to make money off of that. And the other way is admit it's fees from their products. So um, it's going to be interesting. Schwab is going to be a very interesting company to follow in the next quarters, years to come, because especially as people are going for products that offer better yield, um, I don't know how they're going to do it in terms of... Uh, it feels like their revenues are going to take a big, big hit in their profits too. At the surface level, uh, with the work I have done on Schwab in the past, I'll say like Schwab and Ally, because I was trying to understand these businesses. Uh, what would it have been? It was during the kind of Robin Hood rise. I was like, how does that affect these businesses? And and saw some quarters play out after they, you know, their hand was forced to to follow Robin Hood into zero commission trades. So I was like curious how that affected their business. And I left so impressed with how 
good they were at adapting and finding other ways to make money. And and you mentioned a lot of those things. Yes, deposits down 11%, um, down 30% from a year ago. That you know Those numbers are definitely concerning. I think the managing, management team pausing buybacks Probably a probably a pretty good call, but you see that the business is still like financially so resilient through all of that, and <laughs> the money market funds. Holy smokes, that's a that's an explosion. I have mixed thoughts here, but my final thought here is that Schwab looks ob- ob- objectively very cheap here. I I think it looks ob- objectively very cheap here. If you, if if you're looking for value. You have to find things that are very ugly. And this is very ugly right now on a business that has been resilient, has a great management team, and you know, it isn't going away any anytime soon. Like they have really strong market share. And yeah, I'll I'll leave it at that. I think that it's attractive here. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I would say is is that it could get uglier. That's probably the only thing. Oh, 100%. For, uh, yeah. 100%. Um, Don't hear what I'm not saying. Yeah, yeah. Every single ugly stock, you know, if you if you're trying to buy things that are look ugly and find value, the bear case is always it's probably going to get uglier, right? Like Yeah. That's why it's cheap, <laughs> you know. No, no, it's if, true. If it if if it if it wasn't the case, it wouldn't be cheap. And so I, I do objectively here. I don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not buying Schwab stock. I don't buy these financial stocks. I never have, and I probably never will. Never say never, but I I I don't have it on my radar. That being said, I think many of these financials are objectively cheap here. If if you find quality, and I think Schwab is quality. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Let's move on to BlackRock, uh, a business that doesn't like bear markets. BlackRock. Do you, <laughs> I don't know if you follow like every once in a while on, tw- I don't have TikTok, but on Twitter, people always post these, the same video. People just copy the same video of how BlackRock's evil and owns the world. Have you seen these things? I've heard of it. I haven't seen the videos, but I've heard like, you know, memes and stuff. Funny. Yeah, yeah. I've I mean, you're it's not news, definitely. I've heard of that for sure. <laughs> it's just like you made this entire video to explain to me that you don't know what an ETF is. <laughs> just tell me you don't know what an ETF is on TikTok and call it a day. Uh a business that does not like bear markets. Revenue is down ten percent and earnings per share down eighteen percent on the quarter. Oh, it's the year-over-year number. But total net flows was positive of $110 million this quarter. So you're seeing a nice bounce back. Again, this is very uh, correlated to market performance and the, and the euphoria of markets, ins and out flows of how the market's doing. So the market's down, but really, uh, well, not in Q1, but you, know, you saw really high inflows, good positive sign for the long-term story, and, and ingesting more inflows than than what's out there in the asset management business. It's a really incredible business. It just keeps getting bigger and eating up more and more assets under management. They did hit $10 trillion at one point, uh, assets under management. They hit that $3 trillion in assets under management for the ETF business. And they have, once again, now topped that $3 trillion assets under management mark. So I think they had like three or four quarters dipped under that mark uh, last year because... <laughs> 
Remember last year? Yeah, me too. Um, <laughs> asset manage, uh, assets under management year over year is down 5% from the March 22 quarter. No surprise. But if anything, it shows you how good Q1 was for the markets in terms of a rally off of last year that AUM was only down 5% from a year ago. Equity assets under management down 8%, but again, like not that useful. I think the sequential number here is important. The better here, the better number here is the sequential assets under management, which is across the board risen. Equity, fixed income, multi-asset class, cash management, alternatives, advisory, iShares, ETFs, all up high single digits or low double digits on assets under management from the December ending quarter. So nothing hugely surprising here. I, you know, this is kind of like backwards looking on on market performance but the long term story here remains in the fact that they hike the dividend again this is a business that i don't see them not hiking every year for a really really long time and they keep buying back stocks so they deployed 375 million in share repurchases which is about in line with what they do they got more aggressive last year so i think that that's prudent capital allocation they were really aggressive deploying 500 million a quarter last year uh, and so the shares outstanding continues to uh, to drop over time. So you know it's it's a it's a stalwart compounder at, at this point, and uh, that's uh, that's that's BlackRock's Q1. Yeah, I'm just uh, it's that's a difference, right, between BlackRock and a Schwab, where BlackRock they make their money on those fees for the most part, yeah. where yeah. Schwab is kind of a mix of both. And I'd be interested like a in. Bank. Yeah, more like exactly. Well, I think it is. Uh, yeah, they're bank chartered in the U.S. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah, but it just is a bank. Generally, just comparing yeah. them, you know, one's yeah, an exactly. asset management business, one's a bank. Yeah, exactly. And I, I'd be interested. I haven't looked at it, but just to see um, if they provide it or maybe their next quarter will be a better indication because they do have money market ETFs and money market funds as well for um, for BlackRock. So it'd be interesting oh, to see. Oh, don't worry. They were, they were quick to call those oh, they, numbers at the top of the press release. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I'm assuming they're up. <laughs> Look I'll no just further than yeah. Larry Fink's like first eight words on the conference yeah. call. And then yes. mention ESG five times. Exactly. In that order. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, like, Larry we, Fink playbook. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we, you know, we, I wouldn't say we blast, but we're critical of ESG quite a bit just because um, we've talked about it before. It's not the fact that we don't think going to, you know, reducing emissions and obviously global warming and all that. It's more the fact that there's been a lot of marketing around ESG for products that are not environmentally friendly. And there's also a lack of data in some of the things that they do. And BlackRock, you know, is, is definitely guilty of that. I've seen some of the products oh, that yeah. they have, you know, they'll, they'll kind of label something as ESG for Canada. And essentially it's full of oil and gas plays as well, which there's nothing wrong with. I'm just, I don't love that they're labeling these things ESG when it's just a way to get extra fees. It's so scummy. Like it, it it's unbelievable. Uh, you know what they call ESG, you know, I'll buy, I'll buy uh BlackRock stock when they fu- perform the full scam on the financial markets and roll up that e, uh, vegan ETF, buddy. <laughs> oh, <laughs> when I get the vegan ETF, I'm like, okay, these guys are ready to make some serious money. Or, yeah, and then it would be best if they did vegan ETF, <laughs> the Pelosi ETF, and yeah. 
to be both sides of the uh, both sides of the aisle that uh, Republican yes. equivalent one. So you the have Ted Cruz one, the Ted Cruz one. So that, that <laughs> <laughs> wonder who would yeah, buy and that. Then the, yeah. And then the, and then they'll roll out the uh, the Trudeau versus uh, Pierre uh, ETF. You know, just just get them all, just yeah, get, them, get all them all, and charge lots of fees and Bi- keep this thing going. Bipartisan ESG ETF. That's what it should be called. All the buzzwords. Give me all the buzzwords you can find, roll them up in, into an ETF, charge tons of money, and maybe I'll become a BlackRock shareholder. Yeah. Okay. I'll, we'll finish here with uh, last earnings <laughs> on bankings before we go on and on and probably say something we shouldn't. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, uh, JP Morgan earnings, like the, the biggest US bank, uh, I think it's the largest uh, bank in the world, if I remember correctly. Yep. I think it's at the top of the well, G6. That, that yeah. or a Chinese one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So they had their earnings again, like I mentioned, after the turmoil in the U.S. banking, regional banking market. Uh, I thought, I just thought it'd be interesting to have a quick look how it looked for them. Uh, the market definitely liked the earnings report with the stock being up 7% uh, in that range for most of the day. Revenues were up 11% versus Q4 of 2022. Provision for loan losses were in line with Q4, but up 50% vis- versus last year, which is not surprising. It's what we've seen kind of across uh, banks in Canada and the U.S. Net income was up 15% versus Q4. And I'm looking more at Q4 here just because, you know, it makes a bit more sense in my head to look uh, sequential, especially given some of the issues that we've seen recently. Deposits are up 2%. Uh, compared to Q4, but down 7% versus last year. And their average deposit margin, so the interest margin on consumer banking was 2.78% compared to 1.22% in Q1 of last year. So that's a, my God, that's a 155, 56 basis point increase. Pretty impressive, but I think where GP Morgan could see some slowdown in those results is um, I think that interest margin will definitely get pressured as we've talked about those money market funds where people are using those as alternative to deposits in the U.S. So I wouldn't be surprised if you see that uh, interest margin actually tick down over the next quarters, but they have seen as well a big inflows in deposit uh, since the failure of uh, Silicon Valley Bank and the other regional banks. So it's kind of a bit mixed here for JP Morgan. But again, I mean, people feel safe putting money with a uh, systematically important uh, bank, which clearly JP Morgan is. They're definitely not a regional bank. Systemically? Systematically? I'm not sure anymore. Whatever. GSIB. It's it's all just just GSIB. Exactly. This warning... This won't include all the deposits that I think they would have eaten up from those bank failures, would it? No, that'd be next quarter. <sighs> That's a good question. Time I'm line. not sure. I think it may. No, I think it was uh, up until the end of March. Yeah, I think they're pretty quick to turn around their results. I could be they wrong. Are. Yeah, I could be wrong, but I think it would include part of it at least. Yeah. Because the SBV stuff happened in mid March. Yeah, yeah. I think March, what, 10th? 8 to 10th yeah. was like the three days. Was it like was the 12th, the Sunday that they came out and like... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Any, anyways, yeah. So early, mid-March, all of that. So yeah, and then they, w- they would have got a bunch of deposits that following week. So yeah, this this includes it, right? Yeah. As far yeah. as I'm concerned. 
Wow. Uh, you know, I didn't realize, I'm just looking here because you're like, which one's the biggest bank? Yes, JP Morgan certainly <laughs> is, which, which, we, which we thought. But I didn't realize how much bigger they were than Bank of America. JP Morgan today has a market cap of $413 billion and Bank of America, the next largest bank, is $243. Yeah. Holy and smokes. You, yeah, and if you look for – because the banks, you really want to look at what their assets are. Um, they have, Yeah, yeah. I'm just yeah. talking market cap here. Yeah, it's just it's just crazy. I think it's probably um, four, three, four trillion, something like that. Yeah, I would. Uh, Jamie Diamond. Say. Yeah, Jamie Trillionaire <laughs> Energy Diamond. Yeah. So according to uh, a little platform I heard of, I think it's called Stratosphere.io. It says Ooh, yes. that yes, it's uh, three over three point five trillion in assets. Um, so it's pretty. It's pretty large. I mean, I think Royal Bank is uh, in the 1.4, 1.5 for context. I'm just going on memory here. 3.5, Troy. That's like Ryan Reynolds' bank account in like six weeks. <laughs> it's a bit bigger than that, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolute trillionaire energy. Dude, that's that's nuts. Uh, I, I What a good quarter. I mean, I'm not surprised. That, you know, the, this whole banking thing is the bigger get bigger. You get that G-SIB. Get that beat that G Sib stamp of approval. Too big to fail. You're, you're that's a, that's what it is. Yeah, and yeah. Royal Jamie Bank Diamond. is Royal Bank is just under two trillion. So if people want to put some context, so the largest Canadian bank is about half the size of JP Morgan. Still impressive for RBC. Yeah. given you know, I mean, it shows you how much more concentrated our banking is. Yeah, definitely. Than, and which than yeah. Theirs. We're starting. We're going to see it in the U.S. I think that's inevitable. Give it ten years, yes. and we'll probably see. Like, uh, I, I don't know. I'm just going to maybe that'll be a bold prediction yeah. or something. The number of reduction in banks in the U.S. when we do our bold predictions. Yeah, it starts. The U.S. banking starts looking more like Canada's banking. I think it's just a generic prediction. Well, Thank you so yeah. much for listening to the podcast. Uh, go check out finchat.io. It is. It came out today, so you're going to be one of the first people using it. It is pretty special. You get ten prompts for free. It's only twenty bucks a month if you want more prompts. And uh, I would love, like I said, love to make it for free. Love to do that. But I'd be back to dirt and ramen and computing costs. So uh, if you want to support the project, it's twenty bucks a month. It's really cheap, and uh, it's it's awesome. The one tip that I would recommend is if you're prompting it, is be specific. That's what these that's what these chatbots love. Like I don't know if you've been playing with ChatGPT. Be specific. If you want specifically this thing to give you, you know, don't don't make don't let it don't assume it knows what you're talking about. Is what I'm trying to say. Be be very specific, or try to get it to fall in love with you in ten prompts or less. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the new challenge? I don't uh, think. Oh, man. <laughs> That's too easy. Today's Valentine's Day. You love me. Uh, Have you seen the things where people are getting like uh, auto GPT where it'll be like, hey, tell me, tell me the 10 steps to do this. But they, they built this GitHub repo that automatically kind of keeps prompting it with the AI. So the AI is then. Getting the answer, it's like, okay, well, yes, let's do these 10 steps to make, to start your business and build your website. And then it's like, and then the, you know, the auto GP replies, like the, the computer is now replying to the computer being like, 
okay, let's start step one. What should break out in detail? And then it's, so it just keeps prompting it in this never ending loop. Next thing you know, it's actually done the thing for you, not just told you what to do. It's actually now done it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's going to be really probably the future for those all those personal assistants. Um, I think that's going to be definitely something that could be leveraged for that. But if people are like kind of confused at what we're talking about, it's basically chat GPT, you ask it a question and then you have to kind of reprompt it to whether you want to get narrower on a certain you know, topic or something like that. Whereas what Braden's talking about, auto GPT is you essentially does it for you. So you ask the first question and then it auto prompts itself and then will give you kind of, you'll avoid asking it more and more follow-up questions. Without making this episode too long, but just a a conversation is I, yeah, yes, there's going to be some AI bubble. Yes, it's brewing. Yes, it's going to be, you know, the dot-com all over again. I think deservingly so. It is that, aha, holy, holy, every moment. Like every 24 hours, I see a, a new thing that is completely outrageously cool, but also incredibly terrifying as well. Like I just think – We've been trained to see so many hype cycles in technology since like the groundbreaking evolution of the internet. And for the first time since then, and same with this is what Bill Gates has said too. And I agree is for the first time since that moment, there's this, wow, this is different. And I was so out on the web 3.0 and, and don't include Bitcoin in this because I think Bitcoin's legit. I'm talking about the people paying $2 million for a pet rock JPEG. Like that was such a load of shit from the start. And this is so much different. It is so cool, man. But also, like I said, incredibly terrifying. Yeah, no, I share that. I mean, I said it earlier. I was like half joking because it's like super exciting, but scary at the same time. I mean, um, yeah. yeah, I guess time will tell, right? Uh, so if you're time a doomsday prepper or whatever, maybe uh, that's the time to prepare. <laughs> prepper. When we, had to, we learned Terminator what style, yeah. <laughs> we learned what a prepper was live on the show. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in a few days. Again, finchat.io. Take care. Bye-bye. The Canadian Investor Podcast should not be taken as investment or financial advice. Braden and Simone may own securities or assets mentioned on this podcast. Always make sure to do your own research and due diligence before making investment or financial decisions.